prayed every night that he would escape. What the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. The bus crashed. Michael Myers escaped. He'll return to Haddonfield, his home. I need to protect my family. You have no security system, Karen. Mom, you need help. Evil is real. There's a reason we're supposed to be afraid of this night. I've been preparing for this for a long time. It is not safe to be on the street tonight. Go home! Get out of here! Get inside! Michael! He's here. He is a killer. But he will be killed tonight. Happy Halloween, Michael. Welcome back, everybody, to the Scary Sci-Fi Sluts podcast. Uh, we are your hosts. I'm Kenny, was from Chicago. Now I have relocated to the Pacific Northwest again in Seattle. And I'm your other host, Brandon, and I am still staying true to Sandy, Oregon, where it is beautiful out here. <laughs> All three people in Sandy, Oregon. Hey. They're they're just now getting started with the uh, Hood to Coast relay. So if you're if you're running in that, maybe you can listen to us. Maybe it'll get you through it. Stop by, check out the live studio. <laughs> Don't stop by. Do not <laughs> check out the live studio. Hey, we got to keep our fans happy, okay? If some one of our fans happens to be running the Hood to Coast and they're like, "Huh, wait a second, one of my favorite podcast hosts lives in Sandy," you got to invite him. You got a home gym, you got dogs, you got, you know, the podcasting studio, you got it all. We joke, but that's a possibility someday. So we welcome um, any stalkers. I I know typically it's it's not very common for people to do that, but please stalk us. Please show up to our place. We welcome it. Um, Well, Brandon, what are we reviewing today? Well, we are doing things a little bit weird, and we are kicking off the fall season. Uh, Well, we're still in August, but we're getting ahead of the game. And we will be reviewing Halloween 2018, directed by David Gordon Green. So uh, Brandon and I, we we chit-chat back and forth every now and then with ideas of uh, different things to review. And recently, Halloween came up, and we had this brilliant idea that... (laughs) sets us apart from any other reviewing podcast where we said, what if we did Halloween, but backwards? So in anticipation for Halloween Kills that comes out this October, which I'm stoked for, um, we are covering Halloween 2018 first, and then we're going to slowly go back movie by movie. So next we'd be doing the Rob Zombie sequel and then the Rob Zombie original remake, and then go all the way down the list till we hit uh, the original Halloween, 1978. Yeah, sounds about right. Yep, it's old. Yeah, um, but I'm very excited to do this. I'm a huge, long-standing Halloween fan. Um, I've always wanted to get a Halloween tattoo. I don't know if I told you that, but 
uh, one of my best friends growing up, Sherman, shout out to Alex Sherman. That's the wrong series. No, no, he's getting stabbed by uh, uh, Michael's okay. knife. Okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, my my good friend Sherman growing up, he got me into these movies. And since then, I just, I watch them almost routinely every year. It's like a ritual leading up to Halloween. Um, but the, the tattoo I, I've wanted to get is uh, there's, well, I think one of the first movie posters for the first movie was, it was like a transition of a pumpkin but then it would slowly turn into Michael's knife. Um, huh. That's really sick. Yeah, really, that's really interesting. Cool um, but yeah, before we even get into it, what's what's your thoughts on on doing the Halloween series? What are you? What's your background with it? What's your history with the the movie series? <laughs> yeah, um, obviously, I've seen. Pretty sure I've seen uh, the entire series um, ever since I was pretty little. Maybe like maybe more like high school age. Um, I don't think my mom actually would have let me watch these. You satanic. Um, so this is probably something that you introduced me to more than likely um, in high school. Um, I remember the classics being good like the first time through, but being a little bit slower just due to the age of the film. Um, so I'm kind of glad that we're going backwards because it kind of hypes you up doing the the newest one and seeing the filming techniques of today and uh, lighting and directing and then going backwards um, to get more of that nostalgia feel. Yeah. So it's very exciting um, going backwards. I do think it's, it's going to throw us off with a couple of movies, especially with direct sequels. So like the Rob Zombie mm. movies, for example, going from two to one, it might be a little jarring, but we get the gist. We've been with Michael Myers for 40 years now, 40 plus years. So we, we understand how it goes. And then, um, I mean, it's going to be like immediate spoilers though. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> that way, you know, that way, since we're, we're looking at the movies with a more analytical viewpoint this time around, we'll, we'll be able to pick pinpoint more things than maybe if we're just watching it for entertainment moving forward, you know? Right. Um, so, Kenny, why don't you tell us how this movie did and a little bit about the movie? Well, uh, like we said, this movie came out 2018, directed by David Gordon Green. Um, those of you who aren't familiar with him, he's, I think his most popular movie was uh, Pineapple Express, which nice, amazing movie. As, as someone who's not, you know, into the wheat culture, someone who's not a stoner, doesn't do drugs or anything like that movie just it still kills me like filming wise and like storyline it kills yeah the the characters are written really well the story's really really good it's like the comedy is just it's so natural um in a way that like even non-stoners can like still find it comedic <laughs> and still be a part of the comedy um but then he's also done other movies like uh your Highness. Uh, I never saw that, but it was kind of like a famous fantasy comedy parody type movie. Um, pretty popular in like the indie community. Joe, a movie with uh, Nicolas Cage, which I surprisingly haven't seen yet. I remember Brian telling me about it. He really liked it, but I, I have yet to watch that one. Um, and then he's also directed a couple episodes of Mythic Quest, which is a new Apple series with uh, Rob McElhenney, I don't know how you say his last name. McElhenney. McElhenney. <laughs> McElhenney. 
um i've seen like two episodes of it it's it's okay it's entertaining he's yeah he's the main character and he runs this like gaming development company and it's, it's all right and then eastbound and down which have you seen that before i've seen bits of it and a couple yeah. episodes it's hilarious yeah i think it's one of those shows it, it's uh danny mcbride is the main character and he's also a writer of this movie um it's, it's one of those shows where like kind of like Seinfeld where you can just pick up an episode and watch it and it's pretty funny yeah. like you don't necessarily have to watch all of it but yeah it's, it's a pretty funny show um, and uh, David Gordon Green he produces a lot of the stuff he directs um, and doing a little background on him he so he started the uh, production studio Rough House which is which is one of the producers on this movie, him, Danny McBride, and another guy named Jody Hill started this production company. And so they, they produce a lot of the stuff that David Gordon Green works on. And he's actually set to uh, direct a new Exorcist movie coming out in the next year or two. So that could be exciting. Ooh. Hopefully it's a new interesting take because um, of course the original Exorcist is a classic masterpiece of a movie. And... Let's see. So this movie came out October 19th of 2018 uh, with a budget of $10 million. So nothing of a budget. That's what's so great about horror movies is they cost next to nothing to make. Mm -hmm. And I, I say next to nothing. Of course, it's not like an indie movie that will cost $500,000, a million dollars to make. This but compared to Marvel, that costs right. like a billion or however much. Right. They you look at big it. name movies now and the average blockbuster movie it will cost like 200 million plus to make so 10 million dollars with a return of 255 million 614 thousand and 941 dollars worldwide so yeah it it was a powerhouse at the box office yeah that's pretty insane and it's it's nowhere near numbers like um it uh, it part one made i think like almost a billion dollars is like 700 million or something some crazy right. number with like a 50 million dollar budget i want to say somewhere around around those numbers but still something like 255 million that's like what a thousand percent interest return i ain't gonna do the math it's some crazy <laughs> someone out there do the math yeah one of our listeners please do the math and then yeah put in the comments for us correct us um Director of photography or cinematographer for the movie is Michael Simmons. He uh, he's done some work, not a crazy amount, but he's done other projects like um, Project Power, which was a recent Netflix movie. He did a movie called Nerve with uh, Dave Franco and Emma Roberts. Um, Paranormal Activity Two. So this guy was doing stuff like all over the place as far as content. <laughs> and then movie was written by Danny McBride. So the star of Eastbound and Down um, and Your Highness. So he works with David Gordon Green pretty frequently. He was in Pineapple Express, really funny um, actor. And I guess he's been dipping his toes more and more into writing, which is cool because seems like he has kind of a flair um, with his writing style. He likes to put in a lot of comedy. Um, also written by David Gordon Green and then Jeff Fradley, who is a uh, frequent um, <coughs> a 
co-writer with David Gordon Green, and he's worked with him and I think Dan McBride on Vice Principles, which is another series. And then produced by Bloomhouse, Miramax, Nightblade Holdings, Rough House, Universal, and Troncus International. And this is the first uh, Halloween movie that was produced by Bloomhouse, which I think is very interesting because Bloomhouse is kind of like a big name for, for low budget horror movies that mm -hmm. tend to be decent in quality for the most part and like yield a lot of return. So it's just interesting to see Bloomhouse dip their toes in the Halloween franchise. Um, I wanted to ask you something real quick, Kenny, to get kind of behind the scenes of filming. When we talk about producers like Blumhouse and Miramax and all those, do they usually, are they just like the money behind the scenes or do they have a say in what happens? So it's, it's both. Um, it usually depends on like how much money they put in. Um, mm -hmm. If they're like executive producers, for example, versus just a regular producer. And yeah, typically it's kind of like investors. Like if you have investors for a business, that's exactly what, what producers are. They, um, the director, the writer, the whoever, their agent will, will come up with a pitch. Like, like, hey, we have this movie, we have this idea, it'll cost about this much, this is what we want into it. Then producers will be like, okay, we're gonna fund your, your movie. Um, and then some producers, they're like really hands-on and they're like, oh, I want this to be in here. I want you to take this out, like make sure mm -hmm. you include this type of thing. Um, so I, I never really know like how much influence producers have on a movie. It's always interesting to like, right. think about. Sometimes if you see big name actors um, in, in a movie franchise, like take Black Widow, for example, Scarlett Johansson was executive producer on the Black Widow movie. And because she had that level of star power, that level of money, um, that level of like recognition, I'm sure she had a lot of say on how that movie went in portraying her character. When, right. But if you go to a smaller movie, like um, for this movie, for example, Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter are executive producers. Um, even though this is a smaller budgeted movie, I'm sure that they had a lot of creative say on where the, the characters went, where the story went, um, because you know they're the, the main stage of this franchise since the very start. Mm -hmm. So, so that's when we get into other movies where like the producer tries to take over and then the movie flops or other successes where they just were totally hands off and they trusted the director to Justice League to make. <coughs> yeah, that is. Uh, oh man. Um, I think more recently though, uh, uh, whoever the guy was that just did. Suicide Squad, um, what's his name? James Gunn. Yeah, yeah, I think they gave him full creative power and they didn't touch a thing. Because they realized, uh, hey, last time when we fucked the Suicide Squad movie, we gave them, what, a couple weeks to write the script and then basically changed the entire movie, mm -hmm. same as Justice League. Yeah. It's weird, They, I think they're learning, but it took a while. Yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, so we can get into a little bit of uh, IMDb trivia or anything we pulled up on the web. Um, do you have anything that you want to go over? Go over some uh, trivia effects. There, there's a lot of long-winded ones that we won't get into. Um, but some cool creative ones are the, the film was released in the UK and USA uh, the day that Michael Myers was born, which was October 19th. 
Interesting. Um, I didn't know that. This is the highest grossing Halloween film in its opening weekend. Uh, Michael is 61 years mm -hmm. young in this film. <laughs> uh, you know what they say, 61 going on 16, right? Some weird ones like, I think, let's see. <clears throat> Shit, I just lost it. Oh, the two kids that we'll see later in the movie at, uh, when they're trick-or-treating, uh, I believe is Dick Warlock's real son. So a couple of the actors, you know, they use their, their real family members. Cool. Um, Dick Warlock, of course, played uh, Michael Myers, mm -hmm. one of the people. Uh, the filming lasted 28 days. Uh, it's kind of a interesting, you know, 28 days later, nod to that. Uh, it's crazy it's how quickly they can shoot a movie like this. 28 days, if you think about That's it. Insane. <laughs> like 28 days ago, I was still doing the same shit. Like these people made a movie. Oh, that's creepy. Actor James Jude Courtney, who plays Michael Myers as well, because uh, there's two actors for this, consulted with real life killers on how to kill people to make his performance believable. Interesting. Method actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the very first Halloween film shot digitally instead of on film. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal actually helped convince Jamie Lee Curtis to reprise her role. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is a family friend of Curtis. Oh, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, let's see, anything else? There's, it's a lot. This is like eight pages long. So go ahead and just scroll through when you have a couple hours. Yeah, one of the uh, the biggest things that I'm sure if you're a fan of this franchise, you knew this going into the movie or um, maybe it was revealed to you when you actually saw the movie for, for the first time. But um, of course, this movie is known for kind of disrupting the, the franchise, disrupting the timeline. It's, it's basically a direct sequel to Halloween 1. It ignores everything from Halloween 2 all the way forward which I think was a really interesting choice. Personally, being a fan of all of the Halloween movies, there's definitely some better ones. There's definitely some lower tier ones. I thought it was a really unique take on, on the franchise. It's a really unique way to put more energy into it to, to make it feel fresh and then start somewhere new. They didn't have to do that. They could have just stayed along with it. Like, oh, everything that's happened has happened. And all the family ties between Laurie and Michael and all the, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, the cult of Druid stuff, like could have went with all that. But I think it was a really good way to ground it more, bring it back down to what the basis of yeah. the first movie was. So um, without I, doing know, a full reboot, I think that really helped um, just continue it on um, and get right back in the game. Yeah. Um, so are, are you a fan of like, them doing that or do you think they should have stuck with what they had already set up in the past i think i am i mean i haven't watched this series in a very long time so i'm not as like i don't remember as much of it as you do um so now just listening to you explain how did they get into druids and like oh, magic yeah. in this oh yeah that's how that's how he would stay alive in the the other ones uh sort of you it, I'm excited. If you don't remember, we'll get there. I'm excited for you to us to go back and you to see it then. Um, so yeah, just coming at it as like a 2018, 2021 now stance. 
Um, I think it was a smart move. Um, yeah. And then, um, of course, this movie was actually announced as a trilogy pretty much mm-hmm. right off the bat, I think, or maybe right after released and they got all the positive reviews and, and it started making a lot of money. They, they announced that um, David Gordon Green, Danny McBride had actually planned for this to be a trilogy. So uh, the sequel Halloween Kills coming out this October but it's actually been delayed quite a bit. It was supposed to come out last year, um, but of course, due to everything going on with the global pandemic and stuff, they had to push it back. And uh-huh. But I'm excited to see it in theaters. Just everyone backs up so we can just go to the movies. That's what I want. Like, I yeah, Danny, Mc, Danny McBride actually had uh, mentioned how it was planned to be a back-to-back two-parter um, so it would have come out right next to each other, but they said they wanted to release the first one and just do a trilogy that way that they could learn from their mistakes and kind of grow going forward, which I think is really a good decision. Yeah. Cause as, you know, as great as this movie is, there are some mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we'll get into and, that. And they're, they're picking up this long winded movie that, you know, has been around now for 40 years. So if they would have just jumped into it, and I mean, the last one came out in 2007 to whenever that third one came out. Um, 2009, I think, was Rob Zombie. Um, okay. His but to, to pick it up right after like about 10 years and to try to do a back-to-back, that would have been really risky. So yeah, I think they, they were really smart to, to go slow and um, try to learn. Yeah. Um, do a service to the fans one more little trivia note that i wanted to add in before we before we start digging into the movie so they have the the really famous um degrading pumpkin intro title sequence Mm -hmm. for this movie and it's it's not degrading it's actually regenerating and i thought that was so fucking cool um so they they did it practically um, if I remember correctly, I remember watching some, oh. some type of like docu- short documentary thing about how they did it. They basically set a camera in front of a pumpkin and then just time-lapsed it and let it degrade and, and destroy itself and mold. And then they just reversed it and then sped up the, the footage. It's seriously so cool. And of course, it's a big symbolism, big metaphor for the movie itself of like mm-hmm. resurrection of like, hey, Michael's back, Lori's back, this franchise is back and it's here to stay, you know? Jason, it's time to wake up. <laughs> time to play. Oh, wrong, wrong character. <laughs> wrong franchise. I thought we were doing a resurrection. <laughs> we well, that's you know, ideas for the next series. Stay tuned. So, uh, one last fact before we get into the plot: uh, Cody Carpenter was one of the composers for the movie, and of course, he's John Carpenter's son. Um, he, I think John Carpenter actually had a lot of hands-on with the, the score as well. And his son and another person, I forget his name, but like revamped the original Halloween music. And man, is it better in this movie? Like, what, what are your thoughts on the music? I mean, I, I thought it just sounded like similar to the, um, the original score. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I could tell it was better quality, but I didn't pay much attention to like revamped or mm. the the details of it. That's probably more of your end of Well, I'd knowing. say as soon as we're done recording this, go on YouTube or Spotify or something and play part of the, the soundtrack and compare For it to the, the old one. Compare the new one to the old one. It's it's insane. Like 
the new the the original one is more mellow and like mostly piano based and kind of more like gothic and then as like upbeat yeah as the movies went on they started to add more synth and stuff as you know went through the 80s and the 90s added more synth um raised the tempo a little bit got more upbeat and then this one it's like it's like metal it's like there's this there's a couple scenes in the movie where there's this this fucking killer guitar riff it's like and then it the music cuts in and it's are we sure Hans Zimmer isn't in this one (laughs) yeah he's actually yeah there's not enough drums actually for Hans Zimmer he likes his percussion um all right well that's that I think it's time for us to jump into the plot. So uh, how do you feel about just, you know, I, I have- You have it broken up. Do, okay, yeah, I couldn't really see. Um, uh, do you want to talk about some of the actors in this though, the cast? Oh yes, let's get through that. Uh, go ahead. Well, uh, there's not that many to go over because um, a lot of them are just like the background or like the two shape characters. Um, so of course we have Jamie Lee Curtis and is this top billing down? Do you know, is this, I believe so. <clears throat> I would assume, uh, we have Judy Greer as Karen, uh, and would have thought to put Matthew- Judy Greer in a Halloween movie. <laughs> hey, she killed it. Uh, Andy Matichuk as Allison. We have James Jude Courtney and, uh, Nick Castle as the shape. Castle returning to play the shape. Of course, he he was the OG Michael Myers in '78. Of course, uh, Halleck Bilgener as Doctor Sartern. Uh, Will Patton as Officer Hawkins. Rian Reese and Jefferson Hall as the two podcasters, Dana Haynes and Aaron Corey. Hey, don't forget about Toby Huss. Yeah, as Ray. I'm as Ray. <laughs> he's, he's, we'll get into that. <laughs> All right. Now so, we can get into the plot. Yeah, so I'm thinking, well, as we go along, roll along in the plot, why don't we just shoot out our, our comments and ideas of, of different parts? and Okay. Find it a little it. bit different. Yeah. Um, so I'll I'm kick this off. To, well, let, let me uh, fix my screen here. I'm going to have to go dual screen. I always do that. You never do dual screen? Come on. Well, now I guess I'm technically going triple screen, but. Triple screen, damn. Brandon with the three-way over here. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna kick us off. Go for it. Movie starts with investigative journalists. No, podcasters. No, investigative journalists. No, podcasters. Who the hell knows? As even the characters themselves can't make up their minds. Podcasters, we'll just call them that. Aaron and Dana travel to Smith's Grove Sanitarium to meet Dr. Sartain, who is the presiding doctor over the mythical, unkillable, horrific, uh, eyes of a psychopath, babysitter, murderer himself, Michael Schofield. I mean, Michael Myers. (laughs) Uh, Sartain tells the podcasters that Myers hasn't said a word in 40 years during his time at Smith's Grove and that he was the understudy of Dr. Samuel Loomis of legend. He has studied Myers throughout his entire career and is fascinated with his psyche. Although he must be a really crappy doctor if he hasn't learned a thing about Myers in 40 years. Um, Aaron and Dana confront the unmasked Myers and even go as far to egg him on by showing Myers his old mask. 
So do you have anything to say about these, these first two paragraphs? Yeah, I, I really like this intro. Like I thought it was a really good way to, to get us into the environment, to kind of put us in the modern age too. Um, of course with two podcasters. Um, yeah, I just basically from the opening minutes, um, I was, right. I was hooked immediately. And then the way they build tension in this sequence of like them going out to the courtyard and seeing all the inmates in this like really brightly lit, heavy red and white colorings. Um, I, I just thought it was, it was a very good visual and there, they use some really good um, camera angles and stuff to, to show the other, you know, psychiatric mm -hmm. inmates. And they're all like chained down like dogs to these little cubes. And so they have their own little sections in the courtyard. And it was like visually just so stunning. And mm -hmm. it's really nice when horror movies use bright settings like that. It doesn't happen very often. Like Midsummer, yeah. of course, kind of the, the big popular uh, name that, that did almost the entire movie in, in bright daylight. Um, this just, it was just really welcoming and I, I really liked it. Yeah, um, getting right into this beginning, I, I definitely love it when a movie can throw you off and they don't do what you're expecting. There's a couple scenes in this movie where they do that. Um, one is later on when we're inside the, the compound and they're fighting. And then the other is right here at the beginning when they're interviewing Michael. And when they brought up these yellow boxes that you can't step inside of, otherwise that's like his reaching dif distance. I thought for sure one of them was going to step over that line and he was going to kill one of them like yeah. right at the beginning. Yeah. But they didn't. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved the, the opening, um, him trying to egg him on, get him to react mm -hmm. and even pulling out the mask and then just showing the sheer power of that symbolism and how it drives everyone crazy and yeah yeah i thought it, it was just so smart like such a well-done scene there and um of course I, I don't know if you caught this but uh the podcaster aaron when he's talking to michael um, trying to get his attention holding up the mask he like says something about uh how he wants to know how he how michael feels about that night of course referencing the night that he killed Lori's friends and I think pretty immediately right there, if you're a fan of the series, you can tell that they're already retconning the rest because they're not referencing like, oh, the past 40 years of you killing all these right. people. It's just that night, you've been here for 40 years, you know, without them telling you, like none of that other stuff happened. Well, yeah, and then going forward when, I think they mentioned his kill count, they say that he's killed like five people or right. something like that. And right. That, that also retcons the rest because that would be, the first movie kills not going forward right and then of course yeah. it uh the, like all the the built-up tension from the scene of, of him holding up the mask and he says michael say something say something and then it, it hard cuts to the credits um mm -hmm. it doesn't match cut to the pumpkin um regenerating i thought that was just brilliant like the way that was done built up so yeah. much tension so much energy because you're like the music slowly ramping up and then it's like zooming in on the mask and it was just really really well done after getting no response from myers the podcasters then traveled to interview a now aged laurie strode played by the wonderful jamie lee curtis persuading her with three thousand dollars to let them into her john wick style booby trap fortress in the middle of the woods and sorry to all the fans that aren't um all the listeners that aren't fans of the john wick series but pretty much whenever i can see 
some type of connection or reference to John Wick, I'm going to make it. It's going to happen a lot. Yep. <laughs> Since the night of the murders of her high school friends, Lori Strode has become a shut-in, training herself and her daughter in survival skills and weapon handling just in case Myers ever escaped his captivity. This led to Lori being estranged from her daughter Karen, now middle-aged and played by Judy Greer, and her granddaughter Allison, played by Andy Matichek. The podcasters learn little from their encounter with Lori as her PTSD from that Halloween night 40 years ago has left her mentally unstable. So they make their way back to Haddonfield. Um, hey, I, I really like, huh? In what world is Allison spilled with two Ys? Hey, I pulled that, look at the IMDB. That's her, that's think, how they wrote her name. Different up there. No, look at it. Wait, A-L-L-Y, Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> Allison. Um, how do you feel about the the interview scene of them going to her house? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I definitely liked the the character development of is it Aaron, one of the guys, mm-hmm. um, and how he explains how like he does not pay for interviews, and then they immediately have to so go back <laughs> to get the interview. Um, yeah, I thought it was good um, connection and relationship between the three characters and getting into the backstory without telling us anything about the other previous movies, just kind of mm-hmm. giving us a refresher of what happened. Um, and I think they played that off really well. And then especially when um, uh, the other lady, she asks a question and then uh, what's her face? Lori gets pissed off because she knows that she already knows the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. How do you feel about um, their dynamic in this scene, though, of of the two podcasters? Like, I felt like Aaron was kind of an asshole. Like he he just he was trying to egg Michael on. Like he's looking for a response. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they played too heavy into his like investigative journalist, um, you know, profession. And when he was asking Lori questions, it was like he was asking questions just to get a response. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's it's realistic. I'm sure that's what investigative journalists are like and they're not super friendly and they're just trying to get all the information out of you so um i just felt yeah i think he played it i think he played it cool um and i think he it was the right move like he he's trying to step it up and egg him on to get something out of him because he knows he only has so much time with michael and lori Mm -hmm. so if if playing it cool isn't working you have to kind of push their buttons to get something there was um, a certain part of the script here that I thought was really poorly done. Um, mm-hmm. uh, their their interaction of them interviewing Lori kind of ends with with Aaron telling Lori like, "Hey, we think that, or I, I really think that if you confronted Michael, like you would end this nightmare for yourself." And it's like, I don't know if they wrote that in there to like dumb it down for the audience. Like clearly, we understand this already as people who are fans of the franchise, especially like we know that it's always been about Michael and Lori, Michael and Lori, these two Mm -hmm. people going head to head and like confronting each other. And I just feel like it it was really unnecessary for them to just flat out say like, oh, you need to confront him and it'll be over. Like, we know that (laughs) we're we're not, you know, I highly doubt that someone's watching this movie who has never heard of the Michael Myers lore or like never seen Halloween before. Like we know this already, just cut that yeah. out. It's not necessary. Yeah, outside of that, it, it was a good good scene. And then we we get to, we get a little bit of a, a foreshadow of where 
uh, Lori's been and then you know how she's going to be later on in the movie I do think though that here and then a little bit later on they kind of play their cards with where Lori is too quick I, I personally think that they should have left the reveal of Lori being this badass um, you know militaristic survivalist trained person 40 years later they should have kept that to the very very end but I feel like they showed it way too quick and they didn't build that anticipation. Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it could have been cooler if um, if they did sneak it and like surprise us with those things. Like we saw that uh, trap bunker thing like three times before they actually Yeah, we shouldn't have it. seen it. Should have been we shouldn't have seen her arsenal. Um, so I agree with that. They, they revealed their hand very quickly. Right. Like how much better um, do you think the movie would have been if, because, you know, on top of seeing her with all this military training and like shooting guns and like having this this bunker and stuff we then also see the really mentally torn down like ptsd version of her and i think the movie would have been so much better if they just stuck with it if they showed the audience this is where she's at for the entire movie then at the very end it's revealed that nope that's not where she is at all yeah and i think they a lot of it might have been producer wise um, if they were trying to attract people because if you remember when trailers played to this in theaters it was really focused around Lori being this badass um, so they needed to either play that in the trailers to attract people or not play it at all and then like you said you know reveal it at the very end so I think they didn't have much of a choice to yeah. keep it a secret. I do I think, think some of it screwed. has to do with the, the marketing because if you think about it, if, if they released a trailer for this movie, um, sure, it would draw in people like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis is back, uh, John Carpenter's executive producing, like it's, it's gonna bring people, you know, who are already interested in the franchise back to theaters to watch it. But adding that extra little level in the, in the trailers of, oh, there's a twist where <clears throat> there's a potential Lori's gonna kill Michael. Like she's been mm -hmm. training, she's ready. Like that, I think that does get more butts in the seeds. It does have more yeah. like a, oh, this, there's this level of like, you know, just twist and action to the movie that we haven't seen before is gonna bring in more people, but. But I mean, that's also kind of stupid because like nowadays we're learning more and more that like, there's always gonna be fans. So the butts in the seats is gonna happen regardless. Like there was rumors that Spider-Man wasn't going to have a trailer at all. And we were all fine with it. We would actually like that more because then you don't ruin the movie. Um, I think they'll learn going forward and it might happen, you know, going forward. Yeah. All right. So we can keep going. Um, on. So Myers gets sent on a transfer bus where the city intends on sending him to another facility as his last and final transfer. And of course, this takes place right before Halloween. And, of course, he breaks out, uh, killing most of the other inmates and deputies in the process. Myers tracks down the podcasters to the gas station slash mechanic shop uh, conveniently. And it's every, uh, every gas station in Illinois, I guess, in middle of nowhere, Illinois, is also a mechanic shop. I think he just kind of stops at this same gas station in every single movie. Like, <laughs> he's friends with the owner who he kills every time and kind of like this relationship. Um, he brutally murders the mechanics and the podcasters. Uh, and then he dons on his infamous outfit of a blue mechanic jumpsuit and gets his mask out of the podcaster's car. <laughs> 
and he does not call an Uber. He drives uh, to get back to Haddonfield. Oh, he doesn't know how to drive. <laughs> he calls an Uber. Um, was it <laughs> a full jumpsuit though? Because I remember him wearing like a jacket as well. I'm pretty sure it's it's a full mechanic jumpsuit. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's always his, his uniform. These killing scenes were. I, I thought it was really good to to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, because in this first bit of the movie, like they don't actually show us all of the kills, which I thought was like a smart choice to kind of like build the tension. Yeah. And it really shows just how messed up Michael is because we see, I think like the the actual gas owner. No, he he's just kind of down by his computer bleeding, but I think one of the mechanics, their jaws just like ripped open. Yeah, that dude, that was, I was like, what the, the hell? The effects, the practical effects on that guy's jaw looks so damn good. And you're just like, okay, so Aesthetics. he's been busy. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you notice how though, when, when uh, Dana first went to the bathroom or no, actually, so when they, the podcasters roll up to the gas station, you see Michael driving by in the car. <laughs> Like, I love, like, there's so many little things in this sequence where you see Michael in the background. And I love that they did that because that's such a good way of building up tension, building up, like, energy, building up horror. Like, you know it's coming. And this um, is classic mm-hmm. Michael because, you right. know, all the previous movies, it's all about Michael being in the background and he just <laughs> pops up. And- yeah, but it's, it's very, the I, I would say with this movie versus some of the other ones, though, just like, the camera techniques are way better. The directing is way better. Like camera positioning is way better. And it's almost like Hitchcockian. Like there's something that yeah. Hitchcock did a lot in his movies where the audience, you see something's happening in the background or like, you know something that the characters don't know and it helps build up tension. Like you're like, oh my God, he's right there. You also see, um, so after you see Michael drive by, then when Dana goes to the bathroom and Aaron's filling up the car, <clears throat> He like, at the first time I saw this, I didn't think anything of it. Um, it. It took like three viewings to actually notice what was going on. But Aaron looks up at the the girl sitting in the car. There's this random chick sitting in the car and her eyes go like this. And so she's motioning that, hey, I just saw this dude in a white jumpsuit walk into the mechanic station. And Aaron just goes, I think he like waves or something. He's like, yeah, he's thing? an idiot. Yeah. He deserves he, to die. But then also there's this weird thing of like, why didn't she say something? And that, yeah. that thought kind of brings me back to like a, almost like a Friday the 13th and some of the other Halloween movies or like any, any horror movie where, you know, the town or whatever the townspeople are in on it, mm. you know, it kind of made me feel like, oh, she's just like, or Texas Chainsaw. That's what I was thinking of where like everyone knows what's going on. They just don't do anything about it. Kind of gave me that vibe so i don't know if it was just like a little callback a little homage to those classic horror movies or yeah nothing. yeah she might have known like about the history of michael or even knew that that was him and she's yeah. like oh hell no i'm not talking about this or um, she's probably just like it's covid i ain't talking to you but i'm, I'm gonna try to tell you <laughs> there's something going on are you glad that danny mcbride resisted the urge to like go full comedy on this because I feel like there was definitely some scenes where he could have added jokes to, or they could have gone for a laugh. I was just thinking how hilarious it would be if like when Dana is going to the restroom and Michael walks in, like she knows this is some creepy figure. What if he like kicked the door down and she just like shit herself? I mean, she probably did. (laughs) Yes. I mean, getting into that scene, like 
what a terrifying way to die if you think about it like you're trying to take a shit in peace at this nasty ass gas station and all of a sudden you just see you know you hear the boots like she doesn't see him at first and then Mm -hmm. he comes up and checks every stall and i really like the way this scene is shot because like she's sitting there taking her shit clearly she's not peeing she's pooping so mike busts open the door he's probably like oh (laughs) but it's like super silent and you just see the footsteps and then you get these really medium close-ups of her you know on the toilet and then cuts back to michael walking closer cuts back to her him opening a stall she's like oh okay you know someone's just trying to use a stall then he goes to the next stall and it cuts back to her and you can see on her face like something's not right here something's up and it was just so well directed it was so and, dramatic. Yeah. And then he finally comes up to her stall. It, the camera gets closer and you get extreme close up of, of her face and you get to see her reaction. I just thought it was like so, so well shot and like so well. I love how politely though he tries to like open it and she's <laughs> like, I'm in here. And then he like stops what he's doing. And then it takes like a couple more beats before he actually tries to like break it down. Or no, he dumps those teeth over the Yeah. Top. That's so I remember, I think the first trailer I ever saw for this movie, I remember seeing the parts of this scene and I was like, what the fuck? This is twisted. And I, I remember thinking like, oh, it kind of sucks that they revealed this in the trailer because it's such a cool shot. But even watching in the movie, it still works. Yeah, because you don't have that context. Mm-hmm. What a terrible position to be in though. Like there's no way out of this stall. Like yeah. all you have to do is crawl under and then I was thinking the whole time, like to have to crawl under, you're in an even worse position because as soon as he kicks one of those things open, he can just smash your head in. Yeah. And I mean, basically he does that. Like she crawls under and then he just goes to the next door and drags her out. <sighs> and the worst part is she didn't even get to wipe her poopy butt. <laughs> she still, she just had to pull her pants up. She got poop everywhere. <laughs> And it's a gas station bathroom. You know, the floor is covered in piss and shit. She had to crawl through it. Like, what a terrible way to die. It would have been amazing if she didn't die, if the two of them actually lived through this scene. Mm-hmm. And then we had, like, a conversation later in the car, like, I am gross as fuck right now. <laughs> I need a shower, please. Yeah. But, of course, you know, she's, Michael grabs her from from under the, the stall, and then she starts screaming for Aaron. Aaron busts in there with a crowbar after finding you know, the dead mechanics and stuff. And yeah, good luck. Busts in there with a crowbar. And I, I really liked this, this part of the scene. He's been kind of an asshole character the entire time, but you know, just like him, the way he's defending Dana, it's like, he's a good person and he knows he's going to die. Like he shows up, sees what's going on and says, Michael, and then goes in and strikes him with the crowbar and Michael fucks him up. God, he put so the hands on him. Yeah, he like just straight up picks him up by the head, smashes him in the wall. And my favorite part of this though is when he's like laying down over by the wall, kind of just mm-hmm. bleeding out, and he has to watch uh, Dana yeah. get choked out, and he knows he can't do anything. Yeah, it's it's so brutal. Like such a great scene. Mm-hmm. Such a if anything about this movie, like this is one of the best scenes, best sequences of the film. Like it's it's amazing. Definitely. Um, and I do think, I don't know if, how much you remember the Rob Zombie one, but I think this, this is paying homage to 
to the 2007 Halloween remake by Rob Zombie, where really similarly, Michael, when he first breaks out of the uh, Smith's Grove by getting his mechanic jumpsuit, he goes to a gas station, like where truckers fill up, kills the trucker, gets his jumpsuit. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, he breaks into the gas station, goes to the bathroom where Joe Grizzly is taking a shit. Michael goes up and he knocks on the door and Joe Grizzly's like, uh, he's like, I'm taking a shit in here. Like, take your shit somewhere else or something. And then Michael just keeps knocking harder and harder and harder. And then God. Joe Grizzly sitting there taking a shit, reading a porno magazine. He's like, all right, hold up. So he puts a magazine down, pulls his pants up, opens the door. And he's like, I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. <laughs> and then fucking starts to fist fight Michael. I almost said Michael Jackson. Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> and then Michael also brutally kills him and then takes his jumpsuit. And I, I have to think that they were... This is this has to be some type of homage to that because that was a great mm-hmm. scene. Also, you know, moving along in, in the plot, I kind of skipped certain things that aren't really relevant too much to the overall story. Like we learn a little bit about Allison and her relationship to uh, to her grandma Lori, where mm-hmm. you know they're estranged. She she Allison wants to learn more, wants to be a part of her grandma's life, but. Karen's a fucking liar. <laughs> yep, Karen lies to her constantly. Like, oh yeah, I reached out to grandma. She's in, you know, she's at the senior center, whatever. And and then we meet um, Allison's shitty group of friends, which I hated all of these characters. I think they're all, <laughs> they're all so stupid. And they're clearly here for cannon fodder. They're here just to be dead bodies, but. The chick had some funny moments, the, the yeah. other lady. Um. And then in, in all of this, there's a, a really cool scene um, that's paying direct homage to the original Halloween where Allison's in her class and her teacher's, teacher's lecturing about something. And it cuts from Allison sitting down in class and then she looks out the window and it cuts to Lori standing outside across the street, mm-hmm. which is a direct you know copy of the, the original scene where Lori's sitting in class, her teacher's lecturing. She looks out the window and Michael's standing there. Of action Collins took, he was destined to his own fate. His own day of reckoning with himself. The idea is So this movie's really good at doing stuff like that. There's a couple more throughout the movie that, that stuff like that happens, but I, I yeah. really like that. Um, but outside of that, not much really important things happen mm-hmm. through the rest of this time. Um, there's this really weird scene where when we see Michael uh, breaking out of the the transfer bus and like all the inmates escaped and stuff and he killed a bunch of people what how do you feel about that scene where we're introduced like this dad and his son like sitting in the car talking about how the son has to miss ballet practice to to go hunting Just or something shove that down our throats why don't you it was so unnecessary like Ugh. it's so it, it felt forced yeah and then but the dialogue did kill me though like there's there's a part where um <laughs> where the dad like I think when he he stops the car when they almost hit the the inmate and he's like, "What the hell happened to you, Hoss?" <laughs> I was like, "Who uses Hoss?" <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, then, I mean, I thought it was cool. Mostly just the the imagery and like the fog use. And, yeah, it looked great. But it just, the 
the prior dialogue was a little bit cheesy and yeah i did like uh when the sun finally got out and i, I was really surprised when he got out with the hunting rifle and i was like oh shit he had that right next to him like mm. hey i mean they did just go hunting right yeah so i thought it, it got creepier and it it was better by the end but yeah did you notice that apparently the kid's name was lumpy <laughs> like when when the dad was getting out of the car he's like you stay here or lumpy you stay here call the cops it's like lumpy what the fuck i had to rewind that to make sure i saw that and heard that right but yeah it was lumpy that's that's one of my kind of overall feelings of this movie is with the cannon fodder there's a lot of poor dialogue and poor characterization mm -hmm. like I get it. In all these slasher movies, you have to have people that, you know, you meet for more than a second to build up the body count. And I like that. But there's also doing it just to do it and doing it well. I feel like it's hard for, for movies to do it well with this type of story where you're, you're just upping the body count. And mm -hmm. like all of Allison's friends, I really didn't care about except for her, her friend, the babysitter. Um, like these people, I, I don't know, I just really didn't care about. On Halloween night, Myers begins his murderous rampage, hunting down Laurie Strode, killing dozens of people. Or maybe they just coincidentally came across each other. I don't know. I feel like the film doesn't really answer this question. How, how do you feel about that? Is it just coincidence? That they, like, they didn't meet up that soon, did they? No, no, no. So, so Michael, you know, he returns to Haddonfield to start killing people, but it's not really explicitly said if he's actually hunting down Lori um, or if he's just there to kill more people. Um, I think people with the background knowledge of the series kind of put together like there is this bond between them that because she's kind of like the one that got away, he's going to go mm -hmm. back for her. Yeah, I think it was it was a little bit of coincidence and I think it was a little bit of him hunting. I think he was going through some of the old homes. Um, was one of the the homes that he went into and killed that random lady the original house or no i, I think that's i think that's just all random um okay because i didn't know if he was like going like house to house looking for Lori or if he was just on a killing spree i think he's just like it's like when you go on a fast or something and you haven't eaten in two days and then you get really really hungry after you're, you're just like i'm gonna eat everything so that's how michael feels he's like i've been locked up for 40 years i got all this pent-up energy i gotta start killing yeah and i did really like the scene though where it's like the camera tracks and follows him of course there's a there's a throwback to the original movie where we first see him walking up and it, the camera's like kind of below where you don't see his head and the kids run into him and he doesn't kill the kids that's directly <laughs> from the, the first movie and so i have a note about that what's his killing age like what's the cutoff because he didn't kill those kids but he's fine i think he killed a, a baby inside that home and he or maybe killed he that left. other kid he might have left lumpy. the baby alive yeah <laughs> he killed lumpy yeah I, I thought maybe the purpose of that entire scene with with lumpy was to show that oh my this this michael doesn't fuck around he kills anybody but then he didn't yeah. kill these kids and so i i don't know it's dealer's did choice he, did he kill that baby or did he leave it i think he might have killed it oh uh, no all right. Um, but this this was a really cool cool scene though. It was done like almost one shot style, where mm. the camera just kind of follows him, and then you see everything he's doing in one fluid motion. A lot of cool little shots, like when he walks into the shed and he picks up the hammer, and then 
goes into the house and i like that you don't see him killing the, the old woman you just hear the sounds of it so brutal and then of course he goes to the next house and he finds the kitchen knife and then he slits the woman's throat and it's a, it a pretty cool way to again up the body count but i thought it was it was done better than you know them trying to characterize these nobody people who get killed anyways <laughs> Uh, the local sheriff works with Lori to hunt for Myers, as they now know about his escape. They believe Myers will come for Lori and her family, as she was the, the one that got away. That's, I, I put that in there as I kind of came up with that. Like, they don't really say, mm -hmm. like, you, you kind of get an understanding of Lori and the sheriff's relationship um, and how they've dealt with this for a long time. I, I, I think he was a deputy back when it first happened or something i actually don't remember clearly so if someone can correct me please comment yeah they believe myers will come for Lori and her family as she was the one that got away Lori, her daughter karen and karen's husband ray that's who ray is karen's husband <laughs> lock themselves up at Lori's hideout and send the sheriff out to find allison the sheriff partnered with dr sartain for whatever reason tracks down allison and load her in the squad car they come across Myers and the sheriff runs him over intending to kill him, ending the nightmare of Halloween. Uh, so what do you, what do you feel about um, like Lori showing up at Karen's house and kind of like, oh no, that might've been way earlier when she tries to explain to them how their house isn't suited. Oh yeah. When them. she just busted in. Yeah. Yeah. This um, is, this is an, another little thing where I wish they would have just cut it and then kept it to the end and yeah not showing that she's this like you know hyper vigilant like you got to be prepared for everything mm -hmm. um and then did you skip over all like the prom stuff and her yeah, walking through uh, the, the shortcut with the fat friend yeah i guess all that happens but it's just not really that necessary to play. it's just adding more dead bodies just upping the body count of her stupid friends um, it was just weird like it they had to create other storylines to get to the other storyline like making it so that her boyfriend was a dick in the end and cheated on her mm -hmm. just so that she could walk with the other guy like yeah and then here? and then her boyfriend disappears from the rest of the movie um, yeah he's alive i know of course in the trailers for the new movie we see he's in it so i'm guessing that they you know have more storylines set up yeah he's definitely in it and um i liked the 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 bigger dude who gets killed oh the friend um, yeah, I thought he was funny. I don't know if he was exactly right for this movie. Like the relationship between him and Allison was kind of just weird. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a cool kill, but he could have done that without them doing all this, you know, exposition. Yeah, it, it's just like, I, I think the characters were just poorly written. Like, yeah, like I, I know why they're there. I know they're setting up um, Allison as a teenager going through all these things like high school things like, um, we skipped over the the dinner <clears throat> that um, they have for they throw for Allison for her getting into the honor society or whatever. And when <clears throat> Lori shows up, and we we see more of her, like uh, how traumatized she is by the experience, and and um, yeah, they're just I don't know. But I feel like it would have been cooler if they like would have killed four or five more students, like if he was just at the dance and he was killing people in the background. Right. If, if he was like there hunting Allison or something, like he just knew like she yeah. was there, like, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm just going to hope that they're setting up, you know, these little things to pay off later, like, like the relationship with her boyfriend to pay off later in the next mm -hmm. movie or the next movie or something. 
Um, the one the good payoff that we did get though, which might have been my favorite scene, was the lights on, lights off bit. Mm, yeah. So when that was good. So when uh, Allison is leaving the prom, the the Halloween dance with with her chubby friend, they like uh, hop over this this guy's fence, and then her chubby friend tries to like make out with her, and she's like, "What the fuck? Back off!" and storms off, and then hops over another fence to get out he's like drunk so he's like falling over and then we see michael in the background and there's like censored floodlights that turn on and off and we see mm-hmm. michael and then he shows up closer yeah it was, it was a pretty brutal kill when allison runs back and sees her friend with like the fence thing through oh, his, through his skull like pretty cool and then that that leads up to uh to Allison getting picked up by the sheriff and um I just in the squad car. It really doesn't make sense that Dr. Sartain's in the car. Like he just decided to tag along. Like I don't I don't think in an, any real well, situation the, that would have happened. The chief or whoever made um the sheriff take him with him since he's the expert. Yeah, I I don't know. It just I didn't buy it. Yeah. Like, it, it was rushed for sure. It, it was just I don't know. How do you feel about Sartain's character as a whole? Because of course now this is where we get the twist of um, when the, the sheriff runs over Mike and then he goes up and he's like, oh, I'm going to finish him. I'm not going to let him live like last time or whatever. And then Dr. Sartain's like, no, 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 don't touch him. And he pulls out this fucking James Bond, Dr. Evil style knife pen. Like, do they sell these on Amazon or something? Like, they sell these at the psychiatrist store? Like, yeah, I thought that was all bullshit. Like, so he, stupid. You would not have some surprise switchblade knife hiding in your pen. And I can see him turning into a murderer after like studying the psychopath for 40 years. But he didn't learn anything from him. Michael yeah. hasn't said a word. What is it? Where is this like dementia? Where is this like madness coming from? You know? I think they could have pulled it off a little bit differently. I think it was very rushed. Like, him flipping the script that quickly was just weird yeah i I think they're just trying to go for the shock value because the entire movie they're they're building him up like he's just the next dr loomis and if you remember dr loomis he was like the the psychiatrist for michael myers before who was obsessed with him and like thought that he was you know the demon a demon the devil he was like just this force to be reckoned with and yeah um, he spent his entire life hunting him down and trying to kill him and never succeeded and um so i think they're just trying to like give us this shock value twist like oh you think it's gonna be another dr lewis psych no it's not he wants to be you know in the eyes of a of a killer and yeah um wasn't that clever so, however, Dr. Sartan had other plans for that night. He goes for Michael's body and discovers that he is still alive. Uh, very Harry Potter-ish. He probably knew the pulse was still there. The sheriff tells Sartan to move so that he can shoot Myers in the head and finish him once and for all. But Sartan pulls out that uh, knife that we were just talking about and kills the sheriff. Um, his obsession over Michael drove him to madness as he wants Michael alive so that he can learn all about him. Uh, My- Myers eventually wakes up and, oh my God, <laughs> this is the only part I didn't proofread. He tells <laughs> the doc he doesn't give a shit about him by curb stalking him into oblivion. Uh, he then makes his way to Lori's base where they have a final-ish showdown. 
uh, in a fight to the almost death where Lori, Karen, and Allison managed to strap or trap to Michael. Strap the, him down. <laughs> Kinky. <laughs> they trap him in the bunker uh, where Lori planned on capturing Michael for years. Uh, they release the gas into the bunker and light the house on fire, ending the Halloween horror in Michael Myers. Or did they? So they kind of have a lot to break down in this last scene. Um, yeah. Um, one thing I, I, I do want to bring up um, that we, we also skipped over because it was kind of didn't really add much to the story, just up the body count again. Um, was that sassy kid? <laughs> yeah, the sassy kid Julian, one of the best characters in the movie. For sure. It just didn't fit into this movie, you know? Like, I, I, I really appreciated his character. It added a lot of levity, but it was just like, it just felt strange. Like, mm-hmm. just didn't really feel necessary to any part of the movie. Um, but, you know, whatever, it's still a highlight for me. Um, one of Allison's friends, she, she babysits for this kid, little kid named Julian, who's really funny and like, clipping his nasty ass toenails <laughs> that's amazing and then her thing that uh he was like her least favorite kid that she babysits now yep um and then i late... thought her best friend was gay this whole time oh yeah i mean she talked about dry fucking the dude dave i guess not <laughs> um and so there's this whole scene where uh, her friend uh, is babysitting Julian. She puts Julian to sleep and Julian's like, oh, there's something in the closet. Like, can you come check the closet and tuck me in or whatever? And there's this funny line where he's like, there's a fucked up face standing outside my door. <laughs> this kid is so funny. Like I would watch a little side project of just Julian, you know? Yeah. Like I thought it was a missed Chronicles. opportunity though. Um because I was expecting this is again like where I was expecting Michael to be like in the closet or somewhere and to kill her immediately Mm -hmm. but then he he actually moved on to go into the garage and so he kills um Dave first but no that's not what happens no no he he is in the closet because remember uh Julian's like oh close the closet and then what's her face goes and tries to close the closet and then okay his foot's like in the door and doesn't, doesn't he say like oh shit or something because i have that as a note yeah yeah so a- after that happens um which i think they shouldn't have done this in the they showed this in the trailers of the, the entire uh, scene where like she's trying to shut the door and michael bursts out and kills her they definitely shouldn't have showed that in the trailers hmm. um but yeah, after that happens so he kills her and then uh i think that's when julian's like oh shit and runs out and like basically leaves her and yeah. he goes he goes calling for Dave's who who's high in the garage messing with the parents of the house's motorcycle and I was like this is all so stupid like why is this this makes no sense and he drops it like an asshole yeah it's just so unnecessary you know um and the the fucking kid Julian he's like Dave don't go up there you can get your ass killed or something <laughs> and then of course Dave gets killed yeah and yeah, I, I just thought Julian was a really interesting character to write into this movie. Um, I don't know if he fit in particularly, but either way, I still enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving forward, I was a big fan of the uh, Bon Me PB and J. Again, so random. Like, I I think what they're going for is almost like um, 
I want to say like a fucking Tarantino type writing. They're trying to imitate Tarantino where like, you know, he's kind of famous for, for taking these larger than life characters and having them have normal conversations mm-hmm. and make them feel natural. And I'm pretty sure they're trying to write that and imitate it, but it's just not done that well. And I don't know why, like mm-hmm. that's, that's totally what they're doing. They're trying to like humanize these these two sheriff deputies sitting in the car talking about sandwiches and like one guy is like oh a peanut butter and jelly bond me sandwich and the guy's like oh i got a brownie and it was just like it just kind of threw me off like the writing is just not that great like i think they think yeah. that they're more clever than they really are the movie could have been a lot tighter if they cut out a lot of these scenes right um did you were you a fan of the head smashing scene though oh yeah Oh yeah, the curb stopping when oh yeah when Mike Mike uh, pulls Sartain onto the ground and it's just damn oh it I was, was like god damn yeah again the the practical effects in this movie are are done really well I, I really yeah. like the prosthetics and the practical effect work um, and then of course <laughs> Michael this is a, a big plot hole where uh, the two deputies Michael kills him and then carves one's head out like Leatherface style and then puts a, a lantern puts puts a flashlight into the guy's head to make it a jack-o'-lantern and I, I like this for the shock value but it's really kind of stupid if you think about it like how long would it take Mike to do this and like you think in his head he's like oh I gotta prop it up at this angle and I gotta set it right yeah. here and he's doing math and shit kind of like those funny tiktoks where you see michael in the background actually what he's doing mm-hmm. like how long it would take him to mess with this mm-hmm. um six hours later how did you feel i think moving a little bit backward um about the scene where laurie is once again going over her gun closet showing the guns to um ray and mm-hmm. also karen mm-hmm. i thought it felt really lame um i thought her performance was pretty good, like for the most part, but then there were some speaking roles where her acting just kind of fell flat or she was like, and this gun for range and this gun, classic. Like it was just mm. not delivered well for me. Yeah, going going through the arsenal. Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't mind it. I, again, I just, I just thought, I just kept thinking like they could have done it so much better if we just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. We didn't see it to the moment to where michael steps foot in the house and all of a sudden she you know flips a switch and it's like you know yeah like yeah it was it was fine it was whatever um and then you know at the very beginning of this podcast you're like oh i don't know who ray is that's the entire movie like ray's there but he doesn't matter at all we're just waiting for him to die right he he has a stupid line in the very beginning where he gets peanut butter on his penis and he says I got peanut butter on my penis. It's like, what is going on? And then when he, I don't know if you notice this, but when he finally gets killed, so he's the one, he he like steps outside of the bunker. He opens the the door of the police cab and he sees the jack-o'-lantern carved out deputy's head. And then Mike comes and kills him. The way Michael kills him is like really boring. Like it's nothing spectacular. I think he just like picks him up and chokes him or breaks his neck or something. And like- I think he breaks his neck. Yeah, I feel like, it's not even done violently. It was, it was like a wasted death. It was like really stupid. And then Lori sees Ray get killed 
Karen doesn't, but Karen doesn't doesn't even know that Ray's not there. Like the entire rest of the movie. Oh, she's like, happy. <laughs> I know he's like, I could do way better than this guy. Yeah, this but is they, my easy out. They don't address it at all that she doesn't ask at any point, like, oh, where's Ray? Or like, oh my God, I'm sad that Ray's dead. My husband. Yeah, like, they just kind of nothing. Afterthought, I guess. Um, Which that could also be because she's like also dead inside. I mean, they explain how she was raised to be a killer as well. So that could be because of that. But no, I mean, you still, you, you have a kid with this guy, like you have, you're married, you have a life. That doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know. Um, I, I'd like to be in the writer's room when they were writing that part out. And there's like, at the very end after, like after they finish shooting the movie, like, oh shit. She doesn't know that Ray's dead. <laughs> next movie, maybe, maybe they'll dress in the next movie. Maybe, maybe he's not dead. Maybe he, <laughs> he'll be in like a neck harness. He's, yep, he makes a comment. He's actually going to be the hero of uh, uh... Halloween Ends. Um, um, and then, of course, we get this like really badass sequence of uh, Michael entering Lori's playhouse and her having like all those uh, electronic gates when she goes and clears all the rooms. Uh, I thought that was really cool. She was going and checking in all the rooms with the gun. And then she would like, once it was clear, she'd like shut down the gate on each, each doorway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was another scene where it kind of surprised me and didn't do what I was expecting it to do. Mm -hmm. Because I thought he was going to pop out of somewhere like a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And then they, they tricked us by having one of the bodies hidden up in the, the room. I think it was actually maybe. It was uh, Ray. Dave. Ray, yeah. Um, and then he pops out a little bit later. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I thought that was really creepy. And I liked um, a lot of the, the setup and like mm -hmm. um, practical stuff that they had laying around. And then there, there was this one part where <clears throat> uh, when Lori first discovers Ray's dead, she's like hiding behind the door with her gun. And then Michael busts in with his hands through the windows of the door and like starts to strangle her. Thought that was really cool. One important thing to come out of that was um, while you know Michael strangling her, she actually manages to turn the shotgun around and blow off some of his fingers, and that's I think that's really interesting because if this is a direct sequel to just the first one and none of the others, this is the first time we see him actually suffer any like real lasting bodily harm, uh -huh. um, because in the very first one we see him get he gets stabbed he gets stabbed in the neck with a, a clothes hanger and then gets shot a couple times by Dr. Loomis, but then is still alive. Mm -hmm. So we don't, at this point, we don't really know what his limits are as far as like, is he, you know, something mythical? Can he die? Can he not die? So seeing, like, I think this is important that we, we actually got to see his fingers blown off because it's like, it's long lasting. So if that, that can happen and he doesn't grow them back in the next movie or something, like, I think there's, it, I think they're trying to tell us like he can die. There's has to be, you mm -hmm. know, you have to do it a certain way. <clears throat> and I think that's really interesting. Well, what is interesting though, is that we have three more or two more sequels. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting to know like how they keep it going. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. They did trick me though. Cause I thought that they were going to bring back the, um, when she's explaining the arsenal, she gives the sharpshooter weapon to her daughter. Uh -huh. And I thought that she was going to end up like shooting Michael through the door since she had that scoped weapon. Mm -hmm. but no, she just kind of hid and yeah. was afraid. 
And then here we we get a lot of callbacks to the first one where there, there's a <clears throat> there's a shot, there's a scene where uh, Lori's you know searching through the house hunting for Michael, and then Michael's like playing games with her and drips his blood leading up to the closet. So she like goes up and checks the closet, and of course that's you know if you remember the first one towards the end of the movie where Lori's hiding. Michael goes and looks for her in the closet, but twist, he's not in the closet. And, and then eventually they're fighting on the second level and Michael gets some good hits on Lori here. Like she gets stabbed and cut and beat up. And then um, he ends up throwing her off the second story balcony onto the ground. And I really, really love this because then he looks over, sees her there and then it cuts away. He looks away. And then when he looks back, she's gone. That's a you know direct copy of, of in the original one, the very, very end of the movie where Dr. Loomis shoots Michael and he falls backwards and he's there. Then the next moment when they look, he's gone. Really, really cool. It's like yeah, so nice Laurie's, way to flip the script. Laurie's turning into Michael throughout this yeah, whole movie. She's the predator, he's the prey. And I, I really yeah. love that dynamic that they they went that way. Yeah, then then getting to the end when Michael's hunting down Allison Karen. He tracks him down to the underground bunker. When I first saw this, this twist, I thought it was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Pretty unique. On repeat viewings, I was like, I just wish they kept it with Lori, us not knowing about Lori. She's what's important. You know, she's mm-hmm. <clears throat> the titular character. She should have this moment, but it, it went to her daughter, Karen, which I imagine, again, is setting up the sequels. Like there has to be something here with the sequels. Um, so Karen's like <clears throat> calling out, basically telling Michael like, hey, I'm down here by saying like, oh, mom, I can't do it, holding the gun. And like, I don't know if I can shoot him. Like, blah, blah, I'm so scared. Michael shows up and then she's like, gotcha. And then shoots him in the neck <clears throat> and then he falls down and her and Allison run up the stairs. <laughs> and <laughs> Lori had this like booby trapped knife thing covering <laughs> the doorway of the underground bunker and turns on all the gas and then they light the house on fire. And um, and how, how'd you feel about that twist with Karen? Uh, I mean, I thought it was pretty good, but again, like agreeing with you that like they should have done it with Lori instead. Mm-hmm. Um, it got me. I thought, I thought she really was scared and she couldn't do it. And then yeah. I thought that maybe like Michael was going to pop out and then Lori would pop out like behind him, which mm-hmm. she does eventually, but I thought she would get the kill um so that was pretty interesting um yeah. i did i thought it was pretty interesting um that the booby traps were to keep him in not out mm-hmm. so that was a good yeah. twist cool cool little twist but i uh, hate that again with the script they spelled it out for us yeah like we could have assumed this like you don't need for a character to actually say it's not to to keep his to keep us safe allison oh it's to lock him in or something it's like yeah cut that out cut that shit out this isn't you know some pg movie that kids are watching we understand what's going on i thought going forward with sequels that they weren't going to try to kill him i thought they were going to try to keep him down there Mm. and like lock him up Mm -hmm. so i thought it was interesting that she released the gas and was going to blow him up Mm -hmm. um so who knows how he's going to get out of there he's probably just going to break through those wood stakes because he has you haven't seen the trailers for the the new one no maybe it's better that you don't yeah because it's they show a lot in in the most recent trailer and i'm i'm hoping that does it spoil a lot well no so they show a lot of michael killing people like there's a lot of death 
in the, in the trailers. And I'm just fingers crossed that, that they're not showing like, you know, we didn't see almost all the kills in the trailer because there's a lot. So I'm hoping the body um, counts just like tripled and they're just giving us a tease because it's going to be crazy. I'm really excited for this new one. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I guess any anything else story-wise, plot-wise that we missed that you want to wrap up here? I think that's it. Um, I think we got into quite a lot of the behind the scenes killing and the plot and thoughts about that. Um, yeah. And um, I, I do think that a lot of elements here are set up for the next one because mm -hmm. the, the way the movie ends is Allison, Lori and Karen, they're like running away from the house that's completely on fire. We're, we're to think that Michael's dead. Um, <clears throat> and they hitchhike on the back of a truck and they're sitting there on the truck all huddled up and crying and stuff. And then the final shot is of the bloody knife that Allison's holding. And I, I personally think that that'd be a great way. And this is probably how they're going to do it to start the next movie is picking up on the exact same shot of the bloody knife and then zooming back out because I, I'm pretty sure the next movie is, it picks up immediately after mm -hmm. these, these moments. And um, we, we know that the boyfriend's still alive. He, they must have forgot forgot about him on in the script or something. He's definitely going to come back. We see him in the trailers. Um, yeah, I mean, Sartain's dead. The sheriff's dead. Like, although that other, I don't know who the the black guy, the guy with the giant cowboy hat. Who, who oh was yeah, he? I don't even know who he was. Oh, he was hip. <laughs> um, state police, maybe, but uh, he's still alive as far as we know. So he's probably going to have a role. Um, unless they just forgot about him as well. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I guess then we can just start getting into our ratings, our, our thoughts. Do you want to kick it off? Yeah. Um, so for this one, we're, we're doing a more normal styled rating. Um, for those of you who have listened to our Supernatural episodes, we've been doing kind of a, uh, like a four rating style. Um, but for this, we'll just kind of do one um we will rank all the movies though oh yeah we absolutely have to rank the movies uh so i gave it an eight uh because i thought it was really solid um you know a lot of good history in these movies and a lot of homages in this newest one mm -hmm. um so i thought it was very solid the there was some like little things in the writing that we've already talked about but i don't think they were big enough to where it would knock down points for me mm -hmm. um or skew my opinion so yeah, I thought it was just solid. You know, it was, it's, it's not necessarily a horror movie. Um, like it wasn't scary by any means for me, that is. Um, but it's creepy and it's a thriller. So I thought it was very entertaining. Yeah, it's definitely got some more action thriller elements than maybe some of the others have. <clears throat> yeah. Um, one, one new uh, scoring category I do want to add for this series specifically is best kill. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about best kill. Yeah. Um, what What do you think the best kill, whether it's gore wise, whether it's just violence wise, like way it's shot? <clears throat> it's either either the lady getting the hammer to the head with that we the don't see and everything that goes into yeah, or it's one of the ones where he stabs someone through the head. Um. Oh yeah, are you thinking about the when he's doing just the random killings 
when the lady like goes up to the window and he like stabs her through the neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the first good. two. Okay. What about worst kill? Like stupidest, like useless kill. Um trying to think. I don't know, maybe either Ray or the kid getting killed just because it wasn't like exciting or crazy. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> um, what about yeah, you? For, for me, best kill. I was going to say Aaron, but now that I think about it, I don't think Aaron's dead. They don't show him actually, because the last we see of him, he's still in the bathroom. He's still alive. I wonder if he's he, going to come back. He could be movie. or he couldn't be. There's, It'll, it, I'm, I'm yeah. going to say because they didn't wrap it up in us seeing he's dead. I'm going to say he's going to be back in one of the, the other ones. Maybe he, he has a final say, like a final kill or Michael or something. Right. Um, if, if he was it, I'd say his was pretty good because that just the sheer brutality of it. Like, mm-hmm. um, but then outside of him, I'd say the mechanic with his jaw. Like we don't see it oh happen, but just like you can envision like how fucked up it was. So I, thought, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, and then the worst one, probably Ray, because it's, it's just like a nothing. It's not even yeah. a close-up shot. I think it's like a far away shot. We just see a Michael holding him up and breaking his neck. And it was dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as ratings for the movie goes uh i remember so did you see this one in theaters when it came out no no (laughs) i remember seeing this one i think opening day not opening night so not thursday but a friday night at the hollywood theater and i had a hell of a time with this movie i was so excited there's so much hype for it been a fan of the series most of my life and i was really really looking forward to it Seeing on the big screen with an auditorium full of people was just such a fun experience. Yeah. Um, really, really enjoyed the movie. Thought it, you know, had a lot of curveballs, a lot of things I didn't expect. On repeat watches, I think every time I watch it, I like certain things a little less every time. Um, like for me, it's just the characters more and more like. Mm-hmm. Because being a fan of the entire series, there's a lot of throwaway characters in all these movies, but sometimes they sometimes they stick out like a sore thumb. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just like passable, like, okay, they're here to die. Um, for some reason, I, I think just because the writers were trying to like subvert our expectations and like have these cool, unique, modern style characters, they they just I don't know. They they stuck out like a sore thumb to me this time around, and yeah, a lot of the dialogue from them just felt unnecessary and forced. And maybe it's a combination of bad acting, bad directing, bad writing. I, I'm not quite sure what it is. Outside of those things, everything else about this movie is just on point. It's stellar. It's mm-hmm. from from the pacing, from the kills, <clears throat> from the tension, from the camera work, from you know most of the other acting like with the podcasters like that entire part with them was so good and mm-hmm. it was done in almost like a have you seen um hitchcock's psycho i've seen bits so one thing that movie did really well was you follow like the first half of the movie almost you follow mm-hmm. this character and then she dies 
halfway through and you're like oh shit she was the main character she's dead yeah and that's how this movie made me feel it's like oh i thought these these podcasters are going to be a big part of this movie because they'd be start off with them and they go along for like they're in the movie for like a good 30 40 minutes and then they die and or not die and stuff like that i just thought was done so well so clever and i really really liked what they did with laurie's character and how you know we've seen so much of her throughout the entire series and she died in one of the movies and she like had a kid had family and and um like all these other story beats with her the most similar would be h2o where it was like i think this movie pulled a lot from where she was kind of similar she was like an alcoholic dealing with her her past trauma and stuff and um i just i just really liked jamie lee curtis's portrayal of laurie this time around being like so mentally fucked up and um just yeah the way that the character was written like you can you can see it because of her acting and you can feel it uh, from her acting and the writing and i, I just thought yeah. they, they did really really good with her character this time around um so i think shitty character writing aside shitty dialogue aside i did really i do still really enjoy this movie but I, i'd probably give it a seven out of ten um border like I'm, I'm stuck between like six and a half to seven and I'll, I'll give it a seven just because I if it's ever on TV I'll watch it you know yeah if, if it's Halloween time Halloween season yeah I'll, I'll put it on like it, it's still it's really entertaining there's I've seen yeah. it three or four times it still builds a lot of tension it's like I still look forward to the great parts of this movie and they they kind of overshadow the bad parts of this movie um so I'm hoping if, if what you said uh, before about their release schedule and learning from the mistakes, I'm hoping that they listen to some of the feedback from people, maybe listen to our podcast and, you know, hear some feedback and they'll, they'll fix some of those poor writing choices of characterization. Like you're not Tarantino guys, like don't try to imitate him. He's got his own style. Just be your own thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I seven out of ten for me. I think is a good place where this fits, and nice. I'm looking forward for the next one. Um, of course, let's see. Today is August twenty seventh. I think. Let me see what the release date is for Halloween Kills. So Halloween Kills got pushed back to. Where is the freaking date? Hang on, stick with me. Why is it at the bottom of IMDb? October 15th, 2021. So that'll be three years, almost exactly three years um, from the release of the other one, which is funny because when they were planning to release these, it was going to be one year, one year, one year. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's see. If we can... If we, if we have enough time, we can try to get all of these in before doing Halloween Kills. Um, we'll see what our schedules look like, but I mean, that'd be pretty cool. If, let, me, let me look at the timeline and see what we'd have to work with. We'll see, we'll see. Yeah, but otherwise, wherever it fits in our timeline, like we said at the start, we're, we're moving backwards. So if we're doing 
the next movie we're doing is uh, H2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Um, and then it'd be Rob Zombie's Halloween and then back and back and back. Um, wherever Halloween Kills fits in that timeline, uh, we'll, we'll be doing that next. And so it could fit in anywhere, working backwards. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we'd be able to make through all of it, but maybe not. And then, what's up? Oh, nope, I was just waiting for you to be um, done. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> along the road, if you guys have any uh, comments, any ideas, um, if you hate that we're doing this backwards and you think <laughs> it's like blasphemy, you can tell us, let us know, you know, I, I like to hear it. Or if well, you, you can also it. just wait for all of them to be done and released and then you can go the other way and fix <laughs> the timeline. Anyone can do that, you know, you can go like, the now playing guys shout out to now playing podcast if you haven't listened to them they're amazing um they they've done all the horror you know movie series in chronological order um kind of funny podcasts we listen to them a lot and they haven't done the halloween series maybe eventually but yeah i feel like um unique so going past the movie uh what have you been watching recently anything good out um we right now we're watching uh no not free guy we're watching uh haunting of hill house haven't seen that yet and okay on netflix it's it's pretty good um it's directed and written by mike flanagan who's who's kind of done some like smaller horror movies um yeah i i like it there's there's 10 episodes in the first season and for, for the first part of the season, each episode followed like a different family member from this big family that lived in the, the haunted house. And it's a pretty unique, interesting storytelling um, style. And if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it. Um, outside of that, I think, I don't have HBO Max anymore. So I was gonna try to finish Game oh. of Thrones, but I, I can't watch all Game of Thrones. and. You're missing out. I've been watching uh, Titans on there. That's a good um, show. I've, I've seen, I think, most of season one. And yeah, I, I think a lot of people shit on it, but I, I find it entertaining, like seeing these it's live action dark. characters. Yeah. Um, I like the guy who plays Robin or uh, uh, Dick Grayson. Yeah. He's good. Uh, Alice and I have started rewatching the Jurassic Park series. That's a oh. huge recommend. Nice. Um, I think it lives up to its hype and very good movie not jurassic world though oh jurassic world is awesome Mm. all right next in review uh (laughs) Um, i remember actually seeing jurassic park 3 i had to drag my mom and my sister to watch jurassic park 3 in theaters and um what year was that i think it's 2005 let me make sure let me see if my uh, knowledge is correct it might be it's 2005 or 2004 I thought it was 93, 98, and then 2001. No. No way it was 2001. Jurassic Park. So let's see. 93 was the first one. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was 2001? Ah, gotcha. I was six years old, and I dragged (laughs) dragged my mom to take me to see Jurassic Park 3 because it was rated R, I'm pretty sure. Oh, this one's PG-13. Oh. Hmm. Well, anyways, oh, it, it would have been way better if it was rated R these movies. But yeah, I guess my memory failed me. But those are fun movies. 
Those are definitely yeah. fun. Good stuff happening out in the film world. Yeah. Um, yeah, outside of that, uh, there's a new James Wan horror movie called Malignant coming out soon. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but Mm-mm. that looks really good. I would recommend watching that. And James Wan, I, I trust anything he does, really. Like, he, if his name is attached to something, he's got my money. I think he's a good filmmaker and has a lot of unique styles and likes to play around with expectations and the camera and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, anything else? <clears throat> I don't think so. Um, we've got new episodes coming up of Supernatural in between. So if you can't wait for the next Halloween movie, go start watching some of the Supernatural episodes that we've posted. Yeah, so we have, um, right now we're Scan, up right? to... No, we're up to uh, Hookman was the last one um, that we had out. And yeah, I've got a couple more. I've got some on the backlog, just been, you know, moving, moved across the country. So figuring out work and living stuff has been difficult. And Mm -hmm. sorry that we haven't kept up as much as we we used to, but we're we're settled now and we're, we're starting to get back into it. I'm really excited to, to do this, this movie series and to get back into supernatural and throw some other stuff in here and there. And of course, again, if you guys have any ideas, any comments on what you think we should cover, uh, things that we're messing up, any criticisms, um, or you just want to say, Hey, like hit us up, tell us, uh, shoot us a comment, shoot us a message. Where can they find us? They can mostly find us on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can try to reach out to us on Twitter, but we might not respond. Um, so yeah, those are the two best ones at Scary Sci-Fi Sluts on all those platforms. And then if you're an audio listener, uh, we are, we're hosted on Podbean. Um, so you can download our episodes there. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. And um, all the podcasts. Yep. We've been making more of a foray into uh, video recently, though. So, video has been kind of our big thing. And that's why it takes me so long to get these episodes live. It's because I, I go through and I edit uh, our video recordings. And then um, I have to export all that. And then also edit the audio and export that separately. So, it takes quite a bit for that goes into each episode. Um, but check out our channel where, let me see how many subscribers we're at now. We've been. We hit pretty big. We hit the jackpot on one of our videos. Um, so on, we, you know, a couple months ago or whatever, sometime last year, we reviewed the Blade trilogy and our Blade review for the first one, we're at 190,000 views. So thank you everyone who's watching our videos. Um, yeah, we're so close to a million. So close. And as far as subscribers go on YouTube, we're at 1.64 thousand subscribers. I don't know who any of you are, but thank you. Would y'all post a comment or two so we know you're real? Like, Jesus, yeah, that's I, quite I, a bit to I not have any you. interaction. It's fine. Um, right. If you just enjoy the content, watch the content, like us, subscribe. It helps us get seen on YouTube, on the you know the podcasting platforms, mm-hmm. and. Um, eventually down the road if this keeps up um with popularity and stuff then we can set up patreon and do some extra level stuff like we can 
um, maybe create some merch, come up with some cool ideas for like stickers or shirts or something. And then, uh, yeah, you know, extra features for people who are willing to donate to, to keep us running because right now, Brandon and I, we do this just for fun, just cause we love TV. We love movies and entertainment and stuff. And, um, we both do have to work full-time jobs, so <laughs> keeps us busy and then some, and then some. yep. Especially OnlyFans now cutting off a lot of their porn. <clears throat> Gotta find a third job. <laughs> but yeah, this has been a great episode. Uh, anything else you want to add, Bryn? Nope. Thanks for tuning in as always. And um, we appreciate it. So keep, uh, keep listening. And of course, uh, stay scary and stay yeah. sexy. He's waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out! The wall! Get inside! You don't believe in the boogeyman? He's here! Michael! You should. <laughs>